0: Welcome back to What the Midwife Said, the podcast about how babies and families are made. I'm your host, Leah Hazard, and I'm a mother, a writer, and yes, a midwife too. In this series, I'll be speaking to some fascinating guests about their experiences of pregnancy, birth, and parenthood, from fertility and loss, to the challenges of navigating our maternity services, to the joys and traumas of raising children in a changing world. No judgment, no shame, just What the Midwife Said. My guest today is Dr Claire Ashley, a GP whose experience of work related stress and burnout within the NHS has led to a journey to greater professional and personal fulfilment. Claire has worked so hard to develop a portfolio career that works for her and her family, continuing in general practice, starting her own aesthetics business, and offering career coaching to other NHS staff trying to find their way in a broken system
1: really struggling at work and wasn't enjoying it at all and I was also developing symptoms of anxiety and depression outside of work as well so I wasn't just experiencing work-related stress I was bringing it home with me as well I should have taken some time off work and I didn't go off sick and I think that that probably has meant that my recovery is more protracted and drawn out as a result at the time it felt like it was the right thing to do and it was partly made because of my ego and the shame that you mentioned just mm. now, the guilt, mm. i because the practice I was working in was, uh, it had such high patient need and demand for appointments. Um, that, and, and actually we, we couldn't really meet that demand if I'm being honest um, with the staffing levels that we had. The COVID-19 pandemic hit us and locum work literally just dried up overnight. I don't know what it was like to sure. hospital, but literally overnight there was no work whatsoever. So of course I'd left this job and, um, things had changed so I had to be very very flexible and adaptable but that in a way that kind of accelerated the process actually in terms of developing multiple streams of income and the Mm -hmm. portfolio
0: career. It is an absolute pleasure and a joy to welcome Claire Ashley. Oh well here we are thank you so much for joining me I'm so excited to finally sort of like almost in real life meet you. Same Leah thank you so much for having me it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a joy. And um, as we were just saying before we started recording, we're both looking remarkably fresh and happy and smiling because we're not at work. Uh, Just for anybody who's listening to this, obviously in the future, it is a Thursday weekday morning and um, we are actually not at work now, but both doing hard things later today. I'm doing a very short shift this afternoon just to help out. And you're doing something even harder, I gather, which is taking your... Child swimming? This is correct, Leah. Yes. Um I would actually take an NHS shift over taking my son
1: <laughs> in the swimming pool if I'm being completely honest. I, I love him to bits, but unfortunately, because of COVID rules, um the parents have to get in the pool basically with the kids and there's an issue with the boilers in our swimming pool. So it's absolutely freezing cold and um my son unfortunately has just turned into a bit of a melt in his swimming lessons and he's not really progressing and it's because it's it's because I'm mum and he's not he's not really listening to me the, the instructors are on the side so it's just quite a stressful experience um I have to say it's my least favorite time of the week which is a really terrible thing to say as a mother but I don't enjoy it um and it comes around so quickly like every every Thursday I'm like how is it Thursday again What well, I have to get in the pool <laughs> again I don't want to do this anyway it's um yeah it's it, it is what it is he he has to learn it's a life skill isn't it and um there's no there's no escaping it so we'll be going
0: yeah. I'm sure many people agree with you though I used to hate mm. taking my girls swimming because of all mm. the fast kind of getting them changed before and after and then like yeah. somebody else would always have left a dirty nappy in the changing room or like something gross oh changing um, rooms are disgusting they're literally really just unhygienic vile places I know <laughs> I mean, especially in the age of COVID, it's like, bleh, I would just rather not. So I'll be thinking of you later on when I am um, at work, for which I don't even have to shave my legs or put on a swimming costume. So yeah, I guess I I guess I got lucky. Um, And the reason that we're both able to kind of be around and sort of mix up our days like this, just segueing beautifully into our topic today, is that we both have kind of managed to devise for ourselves portfolio careers where yeah. we are not or um, no longer constantly working, although I'm sure it still feels like that sometimes. <laughs> so maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about actually what is a portfolio career because i know it's something you're really passionate about it is thanks so a portfolio career is essentially when you have lots
1: of little jobs rather than one job working for a main employer and the advantage of having a portfolio career is that the the world is literally your oyster so you can pursue whatever career options um you enjoy you can create you know pursue anything that you have a specialist interest in for me, the reason why I went down that route is because of my own personal circumstances and my, my, my personal life. So I'm married to a stuntman, and he spends a lot of time away from home, and we don't have much family support. We've got two young children. And so as a GP, working the long days that we, that really are a necessity in general practice just didn't work for us as a family. And if you follow me on social media, you know that a couple of years ago, I went through a very nasty burnout phase. Um, and part of the reason why that happened was because of the pressures in my personal life. So at the time that it happened, I was working, you know, 12 hours a day minimum in my surgery. whilst my husband And this was, was working as a GP? Away. As a GP, yeah, as a salary yeah. GP. Yeah. And I didn't have anyone to help out and I was expected to be at work. Um, so what I ended up doing was employing someone to put my children to bed for me and there were other stresses there were other reasons why that happened but I, at the time I was like I'm not enjoying my job I'm not enjoying being at home because I felt like an absolute fit I felt like I wasn't doing a good job at home or at work and I just thought this is not how I want to live my life I'm not enjoying spending time with my children not really enjoying being at work what can I do to change my career and change my job to make it work for me and for me the portfolio career option has allowed me to stay working in the NHS but on my own terms and it's also allowed me to pursue other career options. I now have an incredibly flexible career. It does come with some downsides, which we might come on to later, perhaps. But for me, it's been an absolute game changer. And I, I think without it, I probably wouldn't still be working in the NHS, if I'm being completely honest.
0: Mm. And I think so many people will relate to that, whether they now have developed a portfolio career or they're in the sort of earlier stages of, of wondering how will I cope at, at this point? pace you know, yes. in this environment um, and certainly I'm right there with you and I feel the same and I've, I've had to make mm-hmm. lots of big changes to even contemplate surviving as a midwife and keeping my registration mm. um, but let's maybe go back in time a little bit because you weren't always a GP um, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people also will be surprised to hear that GPs even do work 12-hour days especially given the current climate in the press and the media and all the things that are being said but originally you you wanted to pursue a medical career which I think a lot of people think of as more acute possibly or more complex although we know that's not the case and you wanted to be an intensivist stroke anaesthetist is that correct? Yes that's correct so um, after I
1: qualified that was in fact actually no even when I was at medical school that was very much my goal and after I did my foundation program as a you know effectively that's you know kind of the first couple of years if you're training as a doctor I then went on to do ACCS anaesthetics so that stands for acute care common stem so you do training in a in acute medicine in anaesthetics and in intensive care and I've been very very focused on that as my goal since being a medical school basically and what I really loved about anaesthetics was um, the practical side of it so being hands-on with the patients um But when I started doing it, I mean, there were several things that kind of led me to move away from it. The first one was the job itself. I mean, I found being in intensive care very, very emotionally draining because I got probably too emotionally involved with the patients. And quite often, the outcomes are not good in intensive care. And I started to think, can I really sustain this for the long run? I had also just got married. And I was thinking about my future and i was I'd got to the point where the night shifts were really starting to grate on me as a midwife. You'll really understand this, won't you, leah? Um, <laughs>
0: yes, the, yes, the, I will, yeah.
1: yeah, so working nights, missing a lot of weekends um and spending yeah. time with my loved ones that was starting to really grate on me and i i I just got to the point where I thought, do you know what i I did quite enjoy anesthetics, and actually, I think you know i I think it's a very very i think it's a fantastic career. But it just wasn't giving me what I wanted from at that point in my life, in my career. So then I got pregnant, and I was like, "Oh, I need a job. <laughs> what what medical career is going to allow me to have a better work life balance?" And I thought
0: that being yeah. a general practitioner would allow me to do that. I have yeah, subsequently found out. And is that something out- that you had been told? I mean, because mm. I hear a lot of advice to kind of young, especially female medics. I mean, my daughter, for example, is a medical student, she's hearing this already as well, you know, that GP is family friendly. And if you're thinking of starting a family, it'll give you more time. I mean, was this the message that you were absorbing as well? Very much. Um, That was totally the
1: message that I got. And I, I, Yeah now that I have obviously that I am a GP I realise that the career that it is now is very different to perhaps even 10 or 15 years ago. Things have changed quite rapidly and quite substantially and I think that general practice is family friendly in the sense that it allows you to work sessionally and also it gives you a lot of flexibility in your career. However the day-to-day job really isn't because the hours are long and it's very very draining. So I think you know it has talking to my more senior colleagues and more experienced colleagues, I don't think it has always been like that. Unfortunately, things have changed quite significantly. so it's not I, you know the fact that you can work sessionally and you've got a lot of flexibility for me, that's the golden ticket in general practice. that, was, that is what has allowed me to develop my portfolio career and have that flexibility in my, how I, you know how I work. but as a standalone job, I wouldn't say it's particularly family friendly, but a lot of people go into it with that expectation.
0: Mm, so that was obviously where your head was at when you yes. were pregnant and you were thinking this is the right transition for me. And yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And as we now know, unfortunately, didn't quite go to plan in terms of how you found <laughs> yeah. it as a mum. So tell us a bit about that. And when you realised, you know, was it sort of a, a gradual dawning realisation that this is a nightmare for me as a working parent or was it was it one moment in time when you finally thought no that's it that's this is the last straw and i have to change yeah it's a really good question i think as a gp trainee i was
1: very much aware of the issues and I started thinking about how I was going to work at that stage. So as a GP trainee, you're relatively protected. So you're supernumerary. So that means that you're not counted in the practices working hours. Um, And I, I did pretty much work nine till five apart from the days when I was a duty doctor and that was all agreed in advance. As a trainee, we had to do a little bit of out of hours, so we had to, we had to get a certain number of hours in out of hours, but we could arrange that as and when we wanted it. So it was incredibly flexible, and I was always able to arrange it, and I was never ever late to pick up my children. Now I was really lucky with my training program. Um, they are they are they were phenomenal in Bristol, which is where I I did my training, and they allowed me to have my first my registrar year was in a practice that was five minutes from my house and five minutes from my school and five minutes from my nursery. So I was (laughs) able to do everything. It was absolutely fantastic. I had a fantastic training experience, but I was looking at how the partners were working as a trainee. And I thought, this isn't going to work when I qualify. How am I going to make it work? And my plan was to locum, which I had reservations about as a newly qualified GP. I wasn't sure that, that for my learning, it was the right thing, but I thought for my
0: family life, it would be and then as a to clarify for listeners sorry Claire. so mm-hmm. when you're a locum gp it's like doing bank shifts so it's like Correct. coming in dropping yes. out yep yeah yep. that's right
1: so you're not you you basically on a daily rate um and then um and then what happened was so i i up until that point i'd had a, an interest in lifestyle medicine which is about you know kind of healthy living and the impact that that can have on your health and an opportunity came up in my local area which was a health in policy, sorry health inequalities fellowship post so that was a standalone post for a year Um, and that would have involved working with deprived communities delivering education to healthcare professionals in those communities and also I would the the job plan offered funding for a postgraduate certificate in public health which I had an interest in so I interviewed for the job and, and got offered the post but as part of the conditions of work, I had to be working as a salaried GP in a deprived area to take that job. So that wasn't the plan, but the fellowship post was so phenomenal that I I it was a, an opportunity that I couldn't miss really. Mm-hmm. So I took yeah. a salaried post which I kind of anticipated would cause problems, but I think perhaps I was a little bit naive as to how quickly and how how much it would affect me. So I started my salaried post, and I'd say within about six months, I was I was in fully fledged burnout, and it happened so quickly. I didn't have the knowledge or the skills at the time to recognize what was happening to me. So I did the classic medic mm-hmm. thing of thinking, mm-hmm. "This isn't right. This isn't right." I'll work harder to try and fix it. Yes. that's what we do, right? It's very yep, totally. you know we have all mm-hmm. sorts of maladaptive coping strategies for managing stress, <laughs> yes. and I I ticked all the boxes, tried yeah. to work harder. Um we um, you know, tried a few things where, you know, friends might pick up the kids, you know, and it was but it was normally like a last minute panic when I wasn't able to get them. The difficulty we have is that my husband's work is quite often last minute, so we couldn't have a regular arrangement in place because um the childcare requirements were so unpredictable. Childcare is very inflexible and it's very expensive as well. That was the other thing, yeah. is that the majority of my salary was being paid on childcare. Mm, mm-hmm. And um and then we got to the point where I was working such long days at work, I, and my husband was away for a six-week period, and we arranged to have, I don't know how you would describe her, kind of a mother's help. So she was a nanny, that was her background, um, and we, we employed her to come and pick my kids up from school and from nursery and to put them to bed for me. So that was the arrangement that we had. But by that point, I was really, really struggling at work and wasn't enjoying it at all. And I was also developing symptoms of anxiety and depression outside of work as well. So I wasn't just experiencing work-related stress.
0: I was bringing it home with me as well. Yeah. And And if I can just cut in just for a second, I know it's really hard to talk about. So feel free to sort of discuss within the limits of your comfort. But I think many people don't really understand actually viscerally how it feels to have symptoms of anxiety and depression and kind of stress and burnout at work. I think we talk a lot about the fact you start feeling disconnected from your patients and you start feeling irritable and you can't sleep but you're also really tired and all these kinds of things but how I mean for you how did it feel in yourself in your skin when things weren't going well it's a combination of of kind of signs
1: and symptoms in myself so I mean the first thing was that it happened so slowly and so insidiously that I didn't realize what was happening until I reached a crisis point which was um basically developing kind of panic attacks um which I'd never had in yeah. my whole life until that point. And so I think I think from what it looked like on the outside was I was incredibly grumpy, I was very irritable, I had no patience with my children I was very defensive with my husband. I was relentlessly negative, like at work and at home. I moaned a lot. It was just horrible to be around, to be quite honest with you. I, I couldn't relax. I was bringing, not not physically bringing my work home with me, but kind of mentally and emotionally bringing my work home from me. I couldn't switch off at all. I, I couldn't, I didn't enjoy anything. Like lit, I literally mm-hmm. enjoyed nothing. Sure. I spent, and the way that I compensated for that at work was I worked harder and then what it felt like on the inside was um a lot of worry a lot of um yeah you mentioned sleep so i i found it very difficult to switch off i had awful nightmares i get very very vivid nightmares when i'm anxious um of really really kind of quite um quite nasty things um that that are quite upsetting um, yeah and then feeling incredibly like excessively fatigued during the day as well,
0: mm-hmm. I stopped
1: mm-hmm. looking after myself, so I didn't eat healthily. I stopped exercising, which is one of my coping strategies. I got a lot of tension headaches, I had a lot of intrusive thoughts, so just distressing thoughts that just pop into your head out of nowhere that then and a lot of rumination as well, so a lot of going over stuff in my head.
0: Yeah. Didn't enjoy anything. about things that had maybe
1: happened at work or stuff with your family. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, very unmotivated. Um, I struggled at work making decisions. So I'm normally very sharp. um In general practice, you make a lot of decisions and you have to make them quickly. You have to be safe really struggled making decisions, particularly towards the end of the day, when I'm on like my 50th patient of the day, you know, you're not making good decisions at that point. They're not getting the same doctor at that point in the day as they are first thing in the morning when you're refreshed.
0: Oh, completely, really, yeah.
1: Yeah. And then for me, I kind of, this is really difficult to describe, but I I both cared too much and too little. So I'd sit, I'd go to work and I'd sit at my desk and I'd look at what I had to get done and I'd feel the panic rising up in me. And I just, there was a bit of me that would just like literally just wanted to run away from work and just cry and cry and cry and cry. But the other half of me just felt nothing. Like I was literally like, I don't know how to describe it, like almost like a robot. I was going through the motions, but I was, I was quite detached in some respects. Um, and that is one of the features of burnout. it's about losing your compassion and your empathy um and that was that was quite a significant feature for me um and then it mm. it started being related to work and then it became pervasive and was in all aspects of my life but the yeah. um the thing that was you know the the you know i did reach a crisis point and that was the moment you know when i was really deep in it and I wish that I had recognised it earlier than that because it would have been easier to sort out. It's like anything mm-hmm. in medicine, isn't it? Like the, you know, it's better of to prevent, course. isn't it, or to treat yeah. early in an illness rather than leave it until mm-hmm. it's fully mm-hmm. fledged. But um, yeah, so I didn't. I was very lucky in the sense that I didn't get to the point where I had any suicidal thoughts, um, and I was also very lucky in that when I did go to work and explained what was happening, the partners told me that they felt that I was still working to a good standard. And that was really important that they told me that because I felt that my work had been suffering. But from the outside, they were really pleased with mm-hmm. how I was still performing. But for a lot of people who have burnout, their performance slides at work. That's one of the features.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, yeah, that's that's what it that's what it felt like to me and what it looked
0: mm-hmm. like to my to my friends and my colleagues as well. Yeah. And I mean, you're you're a very um articulate at describing these things you've been very very candid on your social media about how this felt and I really appreciate your <coughs> candor today because it's never easy to talk about these things no matter how mm-hmm. like, professional and polished we we may be but I think it's so so important that people like yourself um share actually how these experiences feel viscerally emotionally physically because so many of us working in the NHS or really in any sort of stressful career Um, will have felt these feelings but not recognize them until they get to that point where they're completely all-encompassing and overwhelming. I mean, I I wrote about a similar experience in my book um, where, you know, I didn't identify the warning signs of feeling completely panicked, stressed, burnt out until I actually had to leave my work in the middle of the night because I couldn't cope. Um, And that And people might think, oh, we've written about it. You're fine about it. Actually, still, I carry a lot of shame from that. So I didn't enjoy writing about it. I don't like talking about it. But I think it's important to um, let others know that this is a common experience. So we've had these difficult times. When you reached that crisis point and you were um, strong enough to speak to your employers about it, because it does take strength, what then did you change that worked and what did you maybe try that didn't work so well? Well I'll tell you the stuff that I should have done and it's easy to look back in hindsight
1: is I should have taken some time off work and I didn't go off sick and I think that that probably has meant that my recovery is more protracted and drawn out as a result. At the time it felt like it was the right thing to do and it was partly made because of my ego and the shame that you mentioned Mm. just now the guilt Mm. I because the practice I was working in was uh, it had such high patient need and demand for appointments um and and actually we, we couldn't really meet that demand if I'm being honest um with the staffing levels that we had I knew that if I went off that I was landing my colleagues in it and um Yeah, I'm feeling quite emotional just talking about it now, actually, I had such a sense of of responsibility to my colleagues and to my patients. I was like, I can't go off sick, because I'm going to land my colleagues in it, and the patients are going to suffer. And I didn't want that to happen. But also, my practice did say to me, we want you to stay working, and we want to support you to do that. Uh And that I don't think that was meant to put pressure on me, but I did feel that pressure then
0: externally to stay in the post. And sure, and all the things that make you a great GP, the fact that you actually do really care about your work (laughs) and your patients are probably the things that contribute to these events. I mean, I I feel the same way as a midwife. I think anybody in a caring profession, you know, if you really are truly caring and also a bit of an overthinker and (laughs) overachiever, those Mm -hmm. are the things, aren't they, that will keep you in these um unhealthy situations
1: yeah yeah absolutely um so that's something that I wish I'd done differently and actually the other thing that I now recognize was that I was clinically depressed and I should probably have been on medication but Again, I think it was the shame and the guilt that stopped me from reaching out for that and also a complete lack of insight into how bad things were, which I realized was part of the, the full picture now. And looking back, I can see it. But at the time, zero insight. Um, and the other thing was I didn't. It sounds terrible. I didn't want to bother my GP with it. I didn't. I didn't want to go to my GP and say I'm a GP and I'm really struggling. <laughs> like, and that sounds yeah. really bonkers, doesn't it? But I just didn't feel like I could burden them with that. Um,
0: uh huh. Uh huh. I mean, how busy it's so they are, mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so yeah. important for for you to say that and for people to hear mm-hmm. that because, especially over the last eighteen months, with everything we've dealt with, so many people will have put off going to their GP because they think, oh, they're dealing with more important things. Um, I'm not really that sick. It's just yeah. in my head i'll deal with it and so we don't and we muddle along yeah exactly so i i
1: looking back i i those are the two main things that i would have done differently um but yeah easy to say that in hindsight um hmm. i referred myself to what was then gp health um it's now nhs practitioner health and i'm i'm still under their care and i'm actually going through the process of of i've of a you know a re-referral process at the moment and I'm I'm under the care of a GP there and I'm also having CBT. Um, In terms of the things that help so I went to my employer and I told them that I was really struggling they agreed to cut down the number of patients that I was seeing so that was helpful it did ease the burden on me when I was at work but that was it was still really hard for me actually because I still, I felt like I wasn't pulling my weight enough, even though it's what I, w- I needed. So there was a lot of a lot of feelings of guilt associated with that. And then the, the next thing that really helped was my husband basically forced me to do the things that I needed to do to get better. So it was all the stuff that I was completely unmotivated to do. So it was things like ma- making sure that my basic physical needs were met. So that was things like making sure that I ate regularly making sure that I exercise regularly because I was so unmotivated to do anything. And he was the mm-hmm. one that was like, no, you need to go out and go for a walk or go for a run. I'm making you do this. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm so grateful because he was the one that really pushed me to do that. Once mm-hmm. I started, it was a snowball effect because what, you know, once you start doing things to look after yourself, you feel a little bit better, and then you're mo- more motivated to then go on to do the harder things um that you need to do to to make sure that that you recover from these things so you know spending time outside in nature was really helpful going for regular walks practicing mindfulness i had the car map on my phone um Mm I did a bit of gratitude, which I thought was an Instagram wellness fad, but actually turns (laughs) out that it is evidence-based, so that was quite helpful.
0: So was that like journaling
1: at the end of the day or? Yeah, yeah, uh that's right. And just reflecting on the day and writing, I challenged myself to write down three good things that have happened every day. So even if I'd been at work and I, you know, you know what it's like sometimes you come home from work and you're like, oh my God, today was such an awful day and you feel physically and emotionally drained. There's always there were always at least three good things that have happened yeah. during that day, yeah. and, and it might just be the receptionist brought me a cup of tea and a biscuit, something like that, you know, something really little, but then when you start writing it down and you can read back on it, you go well, actually starts shifting your mindset from being negative to positive, And it is evidence-based. So that, that did help. Mm-hmm. But I think the realization that I came to was that I couldn't expect to go back to the same way of working and expect things to be different. I, I can't change the fact that I have young children. I can't change, and the fact that I have no family support. I can't change the fact that my husband works away. So I had to think about how I was gonna change my career up. And that's how I ended up going down the route of portfolio career working because I wanted to make changes that would keep me in the NHS. You know, it was it's still very important to me to, to continue to work as a GP and I spent a long time reflecting, and then ultimately I ended up leaving the job um, that I was working in because I I couldn't make it work. I felt that I had very little autonomy and and very little control over my workload, which was largely the thing that was really stressing me out. And um, I had to learn how to say no and how to mm. work out what my boundaries were and then assert them which when you're feeling vulnerable and low mm-hmm. it's really hard mm-hmm. to do yeah um and i yeah and so i left that job so i in terms of the timeline actually it was a bit of a disaster so i left <laughs> that job the end of january 2020 with a plan to start locuming. For okay. February, I just did out of hours work. So I literally worked every weekend. My plan was in March to then cut that down and to start locum shifts. However, obviously, we all know what happened in <laughs> March last year. Um, Let me think. Yeah, all that, that little thing called um, the COVID-19 pandemic hit us and locum work literally just dried up overnight. I don't know what it was like, sure. in the hospital, but literally overnight, there was no work whatsoever. So, of course, I'd left this job and um, things had changed. So I had to be very, very flexible and adaptable. But that, in a way, that kind of accelerated the process actually in terms of developing multiple streams of income and
0: the mm-hmm. portfolio
1: career. Mm. And you now also do aesthetics. I do, yes. So yeah. I that actually, I started that prior to the pandemic. Obviously, it's been affected by the multiple lockdowns because I haven't been able to work during that process. But for me, mm-hmm. starting my own business has mm-hmm. allowed me to develop to develop professionally, to develop new skills. And dare I say it, it gives me a lot of what I'm missing in the NHS. So Mm -hmm. I decide how I work. I decide how much time I spend with my patients. I don't book them back to back. So I get to spend time with them. I get to talk to them. I get to know my patients. I get to build relationships with them. And by and large, I make them happy, which,
0: um, (laughs) as you know. That's always good. Let's not forget
1: and in yeah. the NHS, you can't always do that, particularly as a GP, no. quite often, mm-hmm. especially now at the moment, we're just firefighting. And it's really mm-hmm. difficult to find, to get that satisfaction from our careers at the moment in general practice, if I'm being completely honest. So that does mm-hmm. give me a lot of, of that kind of fulfillment and in, and satisfaction that is missing from other aspects of my life. Um, and also, I get to play with all the goodies.
0: So it has its, <laughs> it has its advantages, I'm telling you. Well, I don't know what you've been doing, but you look great. I'm sure, you, I'm sure your clients look fantastic as well. And you're, you're so right. I mean, we go into the NHS with the goal of not just helping people be happy. Sorry, not just helping them be healthy, but happy. I mean, we, we want smiles on faces. We want satisfied patients, clients, customers, whatever you mm-hmm. call them. And it's not always possible, especially at the moment with the pandemic ongoing and things yeah. being as they are. And I mean, that brings me also to something that I feel we have to address because it's just all over the papers every day, which is how unhappy so many people seem to be with the GP service. Mm. And um, unfortunately, the probably minority who are really unhappy with it are, are being really vocal about it all day every day um there was a recent article in the telegraph that was (laughs) very negative about gp land and i know that that was um really hard for you and many of your colleagues to read um i mean in similar ways you know i've seen midwifery absolutely slated in the media at various times over the years and it has a genuine effect on my mental health and how i feel about the work so how how are you dealing with that now, knowing the realities of the job and how you've tried to forge your way in this career versus what seems to be the public perception at the moment? I think one of the things you've touched on there
1: is how how much it does affect us on a, an individual and a personal level. And ever since I started GP training you know, we would talk about it in our peer support groups about, you know, various articles that have been in the press, you know, the press have have hated GPs for as long as I can remember. Um, And but pre pandemic, I think largely, we were all like, well, it is what it is, we're doing our very best and trying to provide good patient care. Um, And I think largely, we just still try to ignore it, or we just kind of have a few jokes about it. And that's, that was how we coped with it. I think what has made it Um, very difficult recently for for general practitioners is the fact that we are all working incredibly hard and a lot of us now are suffering with burnout and stress related to work because we have changed our working practices and because we're all working incredibly long hours now the patient need at the moment is huge because people have sat on things during COVID unfortunately and now it's all coming out and so you know the, the, the demand far outstrips what we can offer however uh, you know we have responded to it actually really well so we haven't had any additional resources so there's been no extra money there's been no extra staff but we are providing now a million appointments more a week compared to pre pandemic levels so we have wow. as a as a profession we have risen to the mm-hmm. challenge incredibly well i think mm-hmm. but that's certainly not recognized by the press and as you're right i mean i think you know not not all patients feel that um i th- but it does feel at the moment that, that the 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 sense the 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 general feeling in the media and on social media is is very much anti GP. I think partly with patients, I think it's perhaps they they are struggling to access their GP, and I think that that's not an unreasonable. Um, hang on, sorry, I don't think that's an unreasonable uh, thing to experience because we know that it is very difficult to access your NHS GP and different surgeries do it differently but also we have changed how we're working and I think perhaps there hasn't been enough education of patients and the general population the general public of, of how we have changed our working practices and how things now work because obviously pre-pandemic you'd call up if it was a routine issue you'd get your appointment booked in and then you go see the doctor and you deal with it if it was an emergency you know an emergency it would be dealt with on the day by the duty doctor whereas now different surgeries are doing things differently most of us are triaging things by telephone first, and then bringing in patients to see them face to face if it's clinically required. But um, for a lot of patients, perhaps I don't think that they understand that that's what we're doing. They think that we're not seeing patients, but actually, we are still seeing patients. We are seeing over fifty percent of patients face to face. That's the latest data, and the rest of them are, are being dealt with by email or telephone, where it's clinically appropriate to do so. So, yeah, so the it's it's you know when you look at you know how we've responded as a profession to the increased demand we've we've done brilliantly but the workforce is exhausted and then when you see stuff in the press Mm -hmm. about how we're overpaid and how we're lazy and how we're we don't put patient care first it's very hard when you're emotionally depleted and you're working really hard to then see that and actually the way that In terms of how to manage that, I think you either have to not read that stuff, and it's very difficult because it's everywhere, um, or you need to do something proactive about it. So I choose to be proactive and to share my feelings on social media. Um, I also work very closely with Doctors Association UK, who have been very proactive in responding to a lot of these articles and um, creating petitions and writing complaints um, to the regulators, the the press, is it, hang on, what's the what's the the press regulators it it soft. i don't want to say it you well, can just call
0: it the press regulators on this podcast Sorry, Steve, have to edit right. this out yeah <laughs> yeah that's okay is that we'll all right yeah but they've yeah okay. they've been responding in the press yeah they had the doctors association has been yeah. really great actually in yeah. um timely and fair and balanced responses to these um not always mm. fair uh position pieces in the press um, Correct. And yes, it, it is really upsetting, isn't it, to read this when you're trying so mm. hard. And on top of that, so many health professionals who have been giving their all over the last 18 months are also parents. I mean, let's not even begin to talk about parental burnout <laughs> and <laughs> how hard the last year has been when you're trying to care for your family and literally keep them safe and alive in a pandemic yeah. while also caring for your patients. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, I love to follow your social media and I will see your stories and I can just see written on your face on the days when you have no childcare and you're rushing yeah. to work. And I mean, I, I feel that in my very bones. And for me, um, you know, I reached a point earlier this year where uh, I wouldn't say it was sort of full burnout, but like you kind of second time around, I could feel it coming. Um, and I think I don't know if it was Albert Einstein or somebody who said um, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expect a different result and I finally realized that um, I am doing the same thing I am trying to live this life over and over again in the same way every day uh, and expecting things to get better and the system is not going to change therefore I have to so and and that's i've tried to do in actually similar ways to to what you've done to kind of rebalance your time um so what does your kind of week look like now i mean obviously everything's not perfect and you've been honest about um that but what does your kind of more balanced portfolio week look like now to enable you to function in this world
1: so at the moment my husband is away until at least mid-november on a film so he's away during the week I'm back at weekends I am now back under the care of NHS practitioner health and as part of that process I have agreed with my the GP that's looking after me that I will temporarily stop doing NHS work at this present time in order for me to to um, recover well and to do the things that I need to do to stay healthy so at the moment I'm not doing any NHS work so that so normally I would do a minimum of two sessions of out of hours a week, if not more. But at the moment, that's that's not happening. Largely because I don't have the time, actually, or the childcare to do it. But also the work is very stressful. So we've agreed that I've, I've temporarily stepped away from that. At the moment, I'm doing two days a week for a private GP provider. So I work for Dr. Care Anywhere. They provide general practice services for largely patients who have AXA health insurance through their um through their employer, so we look mm-hmm. after quite a lot of quite a lot of of employers of large businesses and organisations in the UK, and that's all done online. So it's a very flexible job. It's actually there are lots of advantages to it. But for me, the biggest thing is that my hours are really flexible and I can do it from home. So mm-hmm. honestly, game changer. I'm yeah. so grateful that I have this job because I get longer with my patients. I get 20 minutes which is unheard of (laughs) which which is a luxury and so for instance this week my shift I work nine till four at the moment so yesterday Uh I finished my shift at four o'clock and I went to pick my kids up from their after school club at quarter past four absolutely amazing I can't in the NHS I couldn't do that I don't have that flexibility so that's been really fantastic for me And then I do my aesthetics one day a week. And then I'm just about to start a new job working for the University of Bristol. I'm going to be teaching first and second year medical students effective consulting skills. So I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. So I'm going to be starting to do a little bit of non-clinical work. That starts at the end of the month. And that's going to be, it's only a couple of hours every couple of weeks. So it's not going to be a huge burden of time. Um and I'm really looking forward to doing something slightly different and developing new skills. So but the my my work, my my shifts change every week. No week looks the same in my diary. And, you know, for instance, over the summer holidays, you know, I, I took it I took quite a bit of time off work, I reduced my work commitments down, I've got that flexibility, I'm able to do that. And then if I want to work more, then I can you know it's at the moment i'm trying to look after myself so i've really reduced things down mm. um and and it, and i think it is helping definitely So yeah, it's very variable, and it's and like for instance, you know, today if I if I was working in a salary GP post and today was a working day, there's
0: no way that I could have sat here and talked to you on this podcast. I've got that flexibility. It's it's absolutely fantastic. It is good. I'm really glad to hear that things are, um, you know, if not perfect, at least improving for you. And you know, you've clearly thought long and hard about taking steps to increase a little bit of balance in your life. And I think you know, so many of us in the NHS. Are at this kind of tipping point where we're thinking about okay, we we can't just do things the same way. We have to start doing things differently. So it's always really helpful to hear about how other people have done it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'm more flexible with my chefs. That's how I can go in and do, you know, like a five and a half hour shift this afternoon to help out because they're short. And it's great. Um, and I can do things like this, I can do my writing. And it's scary at first to make these changes because you're losing a bit of security, aren't you? And you're also having to deal with all those ugly feelings of guilt and shame you know about oh if I'm not working full-time in a permanent post anymore I'm not going to be this kind of shit hot doctor or midwife that I thought I wanted to be but it's a process isn't it and you're kind of muddling through it
1: yeah I, I there are definitely days where I feel like I'm muddling through and you're right actually you know just to touch on some of the things you said there so you do lose some financial security when you go down this route um and because I am now a low conductor, I've lost some of my pension benefits as well. So that was something to consider. But at this point in time, my mental health is more important than having those other things. Um, and yep. what I what I've lost in that respect, I've gained in other ways. So it's just about picking. I think what's wor- what's right for you at any one particular point in time. And you know, nothing has to be permanent. You know, you can you've always got the ability to change things up and as you know I'm hoping that as I recover I'm currently engaging with therapy and um, you know I'm going to be followed up by practitioner health you know I'm hoping that when it's appropriate I can go back to doing out of hours I quite enjoy it Um, but at a time that it works for me and my family.
0: Mm, Yeah and that sounds really smart Uh, Mm. and I'm sure it will resonate with so many people listening and are you still available for coaching of other people who are going through these issues if so please tell everyone where they can find you
1: yes so I do offer coaching and mentoring for healthcare professionals I have a website drclairashley.com I actually suspended doing coaching during the summer because I was on my own with the kids and I was like I have to get rid of everything extracurricular I have to just do the bare minimum but I will be taking that up um once things are settled with my this um this new teaching post and i've got a better idea as to how much time i've got to do it um but i think what i really enjoy about that is that i get to use the experience that i have having gone through the training process of be, becoming a doctor and developing a more flexible career and then i get to share it with the people that i'm you know the other doctors and other healthcare professionals that i'm helping and in medicine going down this route of having a portfolio career and a more flexible career is still the path that is less well trodden. And if you, I I don't know if it's the same for yourself, Leah, but if you say to other people, this is what I'm planning to do, quite often you're met with quite a lot of hostility and negativity because it's Mm. not, you know, in medicine we're very, we're very didactic our career paths are normally set out for us in stone and you're just expected to follow that path all the way to consultancy or to being a gp and for yourself all the way to you know through you know to becoming a midwife and your your career path is defined and people who step off that kind of traditional career path at the moment are not they're still it's not the norm and mm. there's very there aren't many places to go to to find out information about going off piste
0: and so there's always a bit of side eye isn't there in terms of like huh, why doing this (laughs) kind of thing yeah
1: yeah a bit of suspicion almost and I, I and I'm not sure why I think it probably says more about them than it does about us um but you need to do what's right for you I think ultimately so I'm I think when I've started looking at changing up my career I did a lot of googling I went onto Facebook forums I was like googling alternative careers for doctors like I read I tried to find as much information as I could and actually there wasn't very much out there and so part of the reason why I offer mentoring now is to offer some of my experience and my knowledge and what I've learned having gone through this process and I find it really satisfying to help other professionals that are in a similar position to who I was to help them navigate their choices and to Mm -hmm. work out what's going to be right for them.
0: Mm, Definitely. And it's so valuable to have that advice from somebody who's actually walked in those shoes and had those issues because I think um, that kind of advice isn't always forthcoming. I mean, I wish my um, second year medic daughter would listen to this and kind of (laughs) heed some of your words of wisdom. But I'm sure she would never because she'd just be like, "Oh, she's talking to my mum. How embarrassing. um, I'm sure there's (laughs) so many um, young medics and not so young medics and midwives and nurses who would uh, really benefit from taking a step back and kind of relooking at things in this way. So I think that's, that's a really good kind of positive note to kind of close on. Uh, and I hope that anyone listening who's experiencing any of these issues we've discussed will have a look at your website or other resources, which we can put in the show notes, mm. um, because you're definitely not alone in this. I mean, this is really the hardest time to be working in the NHS. You and I have both felt it, um, but there are ways to make things better. So um, yeah. thank you again so much for coming on and sharing that with us. Thank you, Leah. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Um, And I
1: think, you know, I think for myself, part of the reason why I'm very open about the problems that I've had in terms of, you know, my work-related stress, my burnout, and also how I've changed up my career. The reason I'm so open about it is because at the time that I was going through it, there's no way I could have talked about it publicly. I, I really struggled even to talk to my colleagues and my friends about it let alone sharing it with you know people on Instagram and Facebook and all that. And it was a very lonely and isolating place. Now I do feel strong enough to be able to share it. And I really hope that in doing that, that it helps other people that are in a similar position to get the help that they need to you know, speak to their GP or refer themselves to NHS practitioner health or whatever it is that they need to do to get better. And also to feel that it's that they're not alone you know um, and that there are lots lots of people in our position who feel the same and you know I also want to try to reduce some of the stigma that is associated with these problems as well because I think there still very much is that stigma of having mental health problems in the medical profession and I want to be part of changing that that narrative and that rhetoric um, so yeah I hope that in sharing my story that it, it helps other people to feel like they're not On their own dealing with
0: this thank you so much for listening to what the midwife said today with claire ashley if you enjoyed this episode please review and subscribe to the podcast tell me about it on instagram at leah hazard tell your friends and join me next time